This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics, these lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Anchor. It's the great podcast creator and distributor that helps make the happiness question possible. They make it easy to distribute your podcast onto more than 10 platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, all without you lifting a finger. Even better, everything they offer is free. You can even get sponsorships for your podcast with no minimum listenership required, like I've got. If you're looking to start a podcast of your own, there's no better place than Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hi, and welcome to the Happiness Question Podcast. My name is Kevin Boyd, and today we're going to be interviewing Bill Protzman, the music care specialist. So our podcast, for those who don't know us, because obviously it's the first episode, um, it's the Happiness Question. We're just trying to find out how to live happier lives, which is way easier said than done. And music therapy is really awesome as well as music care. And I don't think very many people really know about it. It was something I briefly, um, you know, considered doing in, as a career. But if you could explain that better to us. Sure. So I'm not a music therapist. Like you, I'm a piano player. And I've played piano for all my life. So I'm 58. My mom started me at three. And it's been a long journey. The, the stuff that playing music does for us mentally, emotionally, physically, even spiritually is amazing. It's just amazing. And in the last 10 years or so, uh, science is kind of catching up on some of that. So we have music research that is related to um, autism and to dementia and to Alzheimer's and to depression. And depression is really my issue because I'm, I'm chronically depressed. So yeah. I can relate to that research in kind of aha moments where the research will say, well, we found this. And I go, oh, that makes perfect sense because I've been experiencing that for 50 years. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so we have evidence now that backs up the care that music therapists are able to give to people uh, in clinical 
situation. So a music therapist is basically like a therapist, works with you. It's a, it's a two-way relationship, a therapeutic relationship, where the music therapist helps you with your issues using music. And uh, all music therapists are licensed, board certified. It's an amazing organization. American Association of Music Therapy is uh, AMTA. I think I got that right, or a, whatever those words stand for. They're out there. They, the research is available. Anybody can tap into it. And if you're really like interested in doing something with a music therapist, they're, they're in many cases covered by insurance. So it's one of the advantages of being licensed and board certified. So uh, there's a high quality that goes along with the therapeutic practice of music. And, and that's amazing. It's, it, my colleagues in music therapy are doing incredible things. Like there's an organization in San Diego called Resounding Joy. And it's founded by one of the, like, the women who have been there since the start of music therapy and just have it down. PhD, Barbara Royer, she's amazing. She, does, she trains interns, music therapy interns come and work with Music Works and with Resounding Joy to do this amazing stuff they do. And they've like, they have a band up at Camp Pendleton for blown up Marines and wounded warriors. They play music together, right? Yeah. So there's all kinds of aspects of this that are just so beautiful. Well, music care is a little different because in music care, the therapist goes away. And I'm a big advocate for self-care, not self-help, self-care. So self-care is evidence-based, holistic care for yourself, yoga, meditation, those things that work on you in many ways. And music is one of those things. It's sort of unexplored, though, because at least so far, <laughs> until I came along, everybody who wanted some kind of treatment using music was looking for board-certified people, you know, master's degree, PhD level stuff, people. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. There's actually a therapist out in New York that does vocal psychotherapy. So get this, Cam, and she sings, and you sing your session. So yes. instead of like, tell me about your mother, it's like, tell me about your mother, and then you sing your response, right? Oh, oh my mom was this. So, and that's, you know how music works. I mean, it, it gets <laughs> in there, and you uncover things you wouldn't uncover in normal conversation when you connect it with music. So there's all these avenues where music is just blowing up. In fact, there's a study out there where professionals in the caring industries, so like medical professionals and others, just decided to use music, not music therapists, just professionals, and they got better results using music than the music therapist did. <laughs> so it's, it's powerful stuff, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to use it. Music just works on us. We're, we're built, the humans are built to respond to music, and whether you do that in a therapeutic relationship with a music therapist or you do it on your own, like you're a performer and a composer or whatever, you're getting all the benefits of music, even though you don't know them, like specifically, they're happening to you. Oh, absolutely. Start to unpack that. Wow, the, the sky's the limit. You can literally take that rabbit hole as far down as you want to go. So music care is about doing this for yourself. Yeah, I've already kind of experienced that. Honestly, just yep. the transition between um, last school year I did piano before school and during lunch I just spent it during all of my free time and that really changed my outlook on life and like just what I was like I just got excited about doing it and helped my brain think better it was just yeah more fun and I could create stuff and it was awesome and I feel like everybody should be able to take some time out of their life and do that kind of thing you know I really agree with you um America is not a culture that is a participative a music culture. We don't sing together you know, we don't jam together, but in other parts of the world, that's a regular activity. Like in Africa, there's always a jam session every night. Yes. 
I'll, I'll send you a thing that Bella Fleck did, a documentary, a banjo player, about his experience of music in Africa. You'll blow you away. It's incredible. So cool. I think I just noticed you posted about that on Facebook, right? Yeah, I did. It was so powerful. It, it just it, it rocked my world to watch his transformation, you know? You've got it already. Yeah, share that. <laughs> that that's beautiful stuff. So for anybody who's listening, uh, Bella Fleck's banjo player, pretty amazing banjo player, um, US-based, obviously white male. And he decided he was going to go over to Africa because that's the origin of the instrument. The banjo originated in Africa. And he wanted to go and play with indigenous African banjo players. And he wound up not only playing with them, but playing with all kinds of amazing African musicians, from singers to marimba players to percussionists, to you name it. Oh, my gosh. And at the end, he's like transformed. He, he's realized that just meeting people who play the banjo is way more important than the music that they make together. And this human connection that evolves out of it makes him play music that you would never think was banjo music. And it's gorgeous stuff. It's amazing stuff. And you can tell he's working hard to keep up, right? It's, yeah. it's complicated, rich, incredible music. And, and the documentary shows his transformation from this white guy who's going to you know, play banjo to a musician, to a person, to a human being that's just in, in, enveloped in this wave of beautiful music from four or five different places in Africa. It's, it's amazing. It blows me away. That sounds wonderful. I need to yeah. watch this. You got to. You got to, man. <laughs> Let's see what else are you thinking about. Um, the happiness question. So I, I want to ask you why you called it the happiness question. Awesome. Um, so for senior year, I had to do a capstone project so i had to choose something to research yeah. and i decided to make up my own topic and that was how can how is what is unhappiness and what affects it so nobody else is doing anything like that and it was that's why i kind of created the podcast just because there's so many different people from so many different walks of life that have different experiences that are so amazing and would be so helpful for us to know and recognize we might already know this stuff, but to hear somebody else confirm it means we now have another way to be happier and to know that this is, there's other people out there. And that's kind of what this is all about. So your objective here is like to connect with people over happiness, how, why, and let's be there together. Yeah. I like it. I mean, it was also, I was trying to figure out what in the world happiness was for myself. I was in a weird place, and so it was just also another excuse for me to try to figure out who I was and all of that craziness and how to improve my personal life. That's a great start. I didn't find out about happiness until way too long after college, because, yeah. you know, growing up depressed, it's like, there are moments of happiness, but sustaining it, that only happened when I was playing ragtime, like at the piano, you know, <laughs> or, or some other happy music. I'd go away from that, and it was back to the back to the not so great place, which I mean, no judgment here. Happiness is one of the four primary emotions and I was pretty good at sadness. So that was the other one, but fear and anger and joy were kind of like not in my wheelhouse. So I had to work to put them back in yeah. and music kind of helped smooth that path for me to help, help me get there. Yeah. Depression, depression is so hard to get out of. Oh. Yeah. And you know, I've learned to love it, but I mean, what else can you do? If it's going to be there, it's going to be there. Right. <laughs> but I was sort of way out of balance. 
you know, for a long time. Well, that was my job. I was making heavy music at the piano, right? So I, I, it worked. I had, the, I had the inner emotion for it. I had the music to make it happen. And so I did. One of the few benefits of unhappiness, you can create better stuff. <laughs> Say <laughs> so that again. better stuff when you use unhappiness. People need to hear that. It's not, it's, it's so like, frustrating, but also perfect. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, you know, all the great piano stuff I write, it's all depressing. There's no happy stuff in there. Why is it so much easier to write the depressing music than it is the happy stuff? Well, that's, you know, that's what's in you. But people need that. You know, um, we need to hear depressing music to help us feel that it's okay to be depressed. If that makes any sense. That's where I got to anyway. And like the music of Rachmaninoff, um, just, I mean, it's, it's deep, heavy music, but it allows those emotions to come out safely without doing, like, without me doing any harm to myself. I could listen and feel it, and that was okay. Or play it, actually, because I learned to play some of that stuff, too. And Wow, that's, that's, intense, um, that's intense therapy. Yeah. You know, when you can play your own emotions that deeply, that's incredibly therapeutic. Yeah. And nobody's going to give that to you, except if you practice hard. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had that experience, like, when you're performing and it's just, it's just flow and you don't even like know you're there. It's just happening. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm doing my stuff, but yeah. I mean, it's pure joy at that moment. That's that to me is what joy is. Just being there and complete sync with the music and the people who are listening and everything is just flow. That's joy. Or when you're singing in a choir and you just kind of space out, but you're still there you're still singing. Yeah. Have you done any close harmony stuff with like a barbershop? Have you ever done any four part stuff? So I actually auditioned for Salt Lake's barbershop choir last year and I got in. Yeah. They ended up getting like ninth place internationally this year. Beautiful. Um, oh, love it. They were really great. I ended up having to leave because of school. Yeah. Most of them were like retired guys. And then there was just me trying to learn all of the songs and choreography and ballad school and work and everything else. What an incredible experience, man. That's, yeah. I, I don't sing like well enough to solo, but I could probably hold my own in a choir. And I got to sing cadences with a barbershop quartet once because the, the leader of the quartet lived in our building. And so he oh, cool. brought the quartet in and did a, like a concert for everybody who wanted to come from the building. And afterwards, we just hung out and sang cadences. And I'd never experienced that overtone thing that happens <clears throat> when you get close harmony. Oh, my gosh. It makes my skin crawl. Oh. It's so incredible. How do you even describe that to other people who haven't experienced it before? You know, it's just it's so it's so wild. Yeah, and just depending on the music, it's completely different, too. If you've ever heard of Tuvin throat singing, I yes. love that stuff. It is crazy. It's awesome. It shouldn't be possible, but it's... Yeah, exactly. Uh, way back in the day, a radio show on NPR called, oh, what was it called? Music from the Hearts of Space. It might still be on. I was listening to that regularly, and it came on at night, and they were doing some Tuvin throat singing. Uh, uh, David Hikes and the Harmonic Choir and the album is called Singing Solar Winds. This is from the 70s, man, so I'm amazed that I can remember it. But yeah, Hearing Solar Winds. It was like that. There were four or five singers in this sort of a monastery church in Spain somewhere, and they sang, they recorded it at night. It was fascinating. It's just beautiful. Puts me to sleep. 
and I wake up from that sleep so refreshed. <laughs> it's yes. it's beautiful music. Really? Yeah, and crazy. How do they do that? Oh, so um, actually, there's tutorials out there. You have to be careful, though. You might destroy your voice, but they have a really low um, bass tone, and then you have to flip into it. You have to be like in a perfect vowel shape. It's like between an O and an E. Okay. So once you hit that, you also hit the higher pitched overtone. Yeah. And you have to end up controlling it and it's not always easy and it doesn't always sound good either yeah i imagine it's like uh, learning to play the bagpipe or something and i mean some of the stuff that you hear though like the there's so many different versions of it like some of it like can be so bad for your voice i think they just are built for it but if you try to go and do that you could totally screw something up it's beautiful when it works so so beautiful. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Breathe. Yes. So how has music kept you alive? That is, oh. I think that's such a hard question to answer. Well, I can tell you what happened. I'm, I can't really explain the science on it, but I'll, I'll tell you the story and then I'll give you my opinion because it's based on experience that you might share. The, the difficult thing about being musicians is that we feel things so deeply. Yes. And we're, we have practice in, in deep emotion. But even as musicians, even deeper emotions can grab us. And when that happens, uh, it can get very scary. So I was at one of those places in my life where my kids had gone off to school and I didn't have any more pets and you know, empty nester, right? Yeah. And I just felt like I had completed everything that I came here to do. And I was, you know, actually pretty sort of objective about things like, you know, what else? There isn't too much left to do in life here for me. And my music is kind of petering out. And it's just like things weren't, there wasn't anything to grab onto and really, you know, find meaning in. And my purpose was sort of not even there. And because I've spent my life as a chronically depressed person, that experience felt like I needed to end it all. Like it's just, there's no reason to live. And it wasn't like, you know, reaction to anything. It was just like, nope, I'm done. I, I, I finished everything I came here to do. And I didn't have any plans to take my own life, but I realized that I needed to think that through pretty carefully, that, it, that I really had to give it some attention to let myself go to that place. And so rather than picking up a gun or a rope or anything, I sat down and, and I don't know why, I just put on some music. And I, you know, I'll listen to this song that I love you know, a few more times before I leave the world. And the song is an etude tableau by Rachmaninoff. It's actually got a name, Seagulls, but nobody knows the name. And I can't remember the opus number, but it's out there. And I've learned to play it because it's a very p- important piece of music for me. It's just been there in my life for a long time. So I finally you know, performed it in the senior recital. That was tough. But so that night, I sat in my chair, I put on my headphones, I let the Rachmaninoff prelude just spin on, sorry, etude, spin on repeat. And I sat in the chair and I was just there with the music and I began to weep. And I remember crying for a long, long time. It was early evening and the sun was going down. And the next thing that I remember is that I woke up. It was completely dark. Music was still playing in my headphones. And I got myself to bed and went to sleep. The next morning, when I woke up, I had this crazy sense of some reason to keep living. I don't know what the reason was, 
but I just felt like, nope, I'm awake. There's a reason for, I'm awake right now. What's going on here? And words began, became, began to run through my mind. Now, I have words running through my mind a lot. I mean, the conversation is always going on up there, except when I'm playing the piano, when it stops. Sometimes when I'm listening, it'll stop. But that morning, it wasn't a conversation. It was like words, intentional words. And I started to write them down. And I realized I was transcribing my own lyrics. <laughs> there were lyrics hitting me. And I, I wrote them all down. I had like four verses and a bridge. And I was like, well, this is cool. What am I going to do with these lyrics? Because this is obviously a song. And the, the voice said, <clears throat> well, go to the piano because I've got some music for you. By noon, the whole thing was done. I had this silly little dorky song. It was all about, you know, um, I, it, it, as most music is, it was about the frustration of falling in love. And I wasn't anywhere near falling in love back then, man. I mean, it was just like, this was the weirdest experience of my life. And so I, I got the whole music done, whatever I had it in some program and the, the, the program could play the music back, even though I wasn't yet proficient with it on myself on the piano. It was like this boogie shuffle thing. And I got all done and I was like, well, this is great. Now I've got song. I've got this whole song. How in the world am I ever going to get this performed? And the voice right away said, Bill, you're going to do it. And dang it all. I played that thing a couple of times, live performances with real audiences. I was like, Oh man, I'm not a singer songwriter, but I get around and I, and, you know, I got it done. It's like that, that crazy experience all of a sudden changed my life and put me back in the game of wanting to keep doing what I do. And that experience is sort of like the marker for music care. I, I think I was doing something like it before that time. I'd even given concerts and called it music care. But that was the moment where I just said, no, I'm in this. This, this is the way to go. People need to know that music is this powerful, that it will stop you from taking your own life, provided you allow it to. So, so that happened, man. <laughs> One of these days, maybe I'll play that song again and perform it for somebody. <laughs> no, I should send it to you. You can do it better than I can. <laughs> I won't disagree. I mean, I don't know why I'm saying having words that are hard now. It, yeah. See it. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it does. But the reason for it now, I know there's science and all this, but I'll give you my reasoning and see if it resonates for you. I've always felt that music has been minding me and allowing me to unpack those deep emotions and safety. And even though I did, wasn't playing that evening, I was listening. I needed the experience of going that deep. I needed to allow myself to feel that stuff so that it could like leave me. So it flow through. It's sort of cleansing, or some people have called it like digesting the emotions. And I, I still have suicidal ideation. It's not something that ever goes away, but it's like a friend now. It's like, oh yeah, there's that again. <laughs> and depression has been that way for a long time with me. And I'm learning now to do that with fear and anger as well. Because one of the symptoms of being depressed is that you turn out to be very angry. You've stuffed so much that it comes up as anger. So my practices of fear and anger are improving as well. And that's easy to do with big, angry music. And now I'm learning to do it more, um, less at the piano and more in real life, you know? So if anger triggers me, I'll let angry music carry that so that I don't respond or react or, you know, break something or hurt somebody. And, and I think that's a good practice. I think it's good practice. At least it works for me. And I came by it honestly through trial and error and experience. <laughs> and there's now some science that sort of supports it. So I'm, I'm in that. I'm in that. I totally see that. That would, wow. I mean, this yeah. is the reason why we listen to depressing music when we're sad, right? Right, right. 
and it, we ought to do that more. I mean, as musicians, don't we have a responsibility to let people know what's happening? Like when we sing or make music, to let people know, hey, you know, this might be difficult for you to hear because it can trigger stuff. But that's okay. You're safe. You're sitting here in the room. Nothing's going to happen to you. So just be with that and, and allow the music to let you know what to do or how to feel. I think as musicians, we, we owe it to our listeners you know, to, to begin to unpack that. Yeah. Honestly, it's so, it's so, it works so well and it allows us to just kind of open up to the world about how we feel and allows other people to connect to us and how yeah. they, their emotions are just, you know, everyone now feels more open to sharing how they feel about their life because now you've opened up and they can too. Yes. Yeah. That's, and wow. If you can get somebody in the audience to get that deep, man, keep playing because that's, that's what we need. I mean, people in the world, look at the world, man. We don't know how to deal with anger. <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, there are rappers that are better at anger than most of us, you know, in, in the United States, let's face it. And we could, we should be listening. Do you know who Lizzo is? I just found Lizzo yesterday. No, tell me more. Oh my gosh, she is like this amazing blues singer, rapper, whatever. She, I found her because somebody's told me about a Tiny Desk concert she did on NPR, and I'm like, I listen to it, I'm like blown away. I'm sitting there, my wife is looking at me like I'm crazy, but wow, Lizzo can rock this world, and she's doing it in a way that people can relate to. Yeah, check out Lizzo. Awesome. Yeah, I know. I, she's probably been around for years, I just found her, but oh man. And who's the, who's the new kid? She's, she's a YouTube singer. Oh. It's not Nellie. It's, I'll think of it. I found her a few weeks ago too. Oh, she is amazing. Like she's the new teenage girl heartthrob. Yes. I know who you're talking about. L-E-B, I think. What's, is that sound right? Let's see. Who is it? It's, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, you probably do. Is it? Gosh, well, I haven't listened to her stuff either. How embarrassing. No, that's all right. I think I had her name stuck in my head, and I hadn't even, like, listened to anything she'd done. Oh, yeah. Do, well, do, you know? Oh, wow. Audio's playing. That's cool. It's probably not Ellie Golding, is it? No, no. Awesome. I didn't think so. Okay, cool. Think... I've, I've got her mixed up with Cardi B and it's somebody <laughs> else, but... Anyway, it'll, it'll hit me. I'll think of it. Text you. Awesome. So what else do we want to talk about? We've got so much time. Okay. <laughs> wow, we've talked about so much already. That was fast. Oh, gosh. Well, we have already talked about what's inspired your business, I'm sure. Um, what, how, would, what, how do you help people? There we go. Oh, that's a, a great question. You know, music is something we all get, but it's not often an awareness that everybody has. So I love my job because I get to help people with awareness of something that they already do. Like most people listen to music. I know there are people who just don't, but most of us have music or aware of it or, you know, we, it's in our scene in some way. And so when you say to somebody, do you know what your music is doing to you? They often go, well, no, I really haven't thought about that. So, uh, you know, it, it, with working with clients or even in a, in a workshop, 
setting or if people are taking the online course, it's, they're going to go through the same way. It's, it starts by taking inventory of the music you love because the music you love is the most powerful music that you have. It's just when you have that connection to it, that's powerful stuff. And you take an inventory and just find out of, the, of your top 40, how much of that is related to joy? How much of that is related to sadness? How much is related to fear? How much is related to anger? The four primary emotions. Like as an instrument, human beings resonate on those four emotions and a bunch of others, but those are the big, big four. And once you discover that your list is you know, like slanted in one way, and most of our lists are, mine slanted toward depression, I'll be honest, but it's got joy in it because I love ragtime and jazz and all that's in there too. But once you discover that your list is you know, kind of empty in some of the quote negative emotions, we start working. And we start working to build you in to the way you can experience quote negative emotions. They're just emotions, but you know, it's just brain chemistry. But we build into your, your top 40 ways to feel those things in safety. Some people have no anger music on their list. As a classical piano player, I've got lots of anger music because, you know, that's those big emotions drive a lot of classical music. But some people have no anger music. And <clears throat> one person I was working with, you'll love this. Um, I asked them for their list and, and they gave me the list and I said, so what's your angry song? And bless her heart, she said, Amazing Grace. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <clears throat> okay, well, let's look at that. And what we found out was that um, she was using Amazing Grace to mask her anger. Like she didn't want to feel the anger, so she'd listen to Amazing Grace and it would keep the anger tamped down. I lived about 40 years of my life doing that. <laughs> so, I can relate. But I don't have any anger songs either. Well done. Yeah, yeah, I'm perfect. I don't, I don't get angry. I don't. And in our family, man, so growing up in our family, anger and fear and even sadness weren't really allowed emotions. I could do them on the piano, but I couldn't like talk to you as a sibling. So, man... I'm so angry. I mean, that just didn't happen in our family. So uh, you start to unpack that. And, and when you find that you're at this place where Amazing Grace is giving you this wonderful intervention away from anger, it's like, okay, let's go back and find something that really can, you know, like make you enraged. What's, you know, uh, music that annoys you, anything that just like gets you out of that blissful place just for a second, because it's safe. There's nothing that's going to happen. You're going to feel funny. So the process of encouraging people to, to, to fill out their musical repertoire on an emotional level, because we need to feel those emotions. You're going to feel angry. I mean, even if you stuff it, you're going to feel it. And psychologically, stuffing all that anger basically just makes you depressed. So hello, candidate number one, exhibit A. So a, a lot of this work has to do with opening people up to a safe experience of what we like to call negative emotions, but just emotions, we, we, we feel them. They keep us safe, you know? It, the amygdala, the lizard brain, that's our, that's our warning beacon, you know? When, when something goes off that's dangerous, we need to react. And that emotional response is built into us for a reason. And we share that with all living beings, uh, all creatures. I tend to think that um, because we're a vibrational universe, the tension and release of like an atom and the tension and release of music. I mean, this is part of life, right? It may even be mathematically part of everything. Tension and release, sound and silence, light and dark. You know, it's just two aspects of who we are. And you gotta have them both. Otherwise you're not complete. No judgment, just, you know, good and bad, no judgment. Some things work better than others. What works for you? Gosh. And, you know, go with that. So that's the, what music works for you. Let's go with that.
That's kind of how the music uh, care process works. And so I, I teach that. And then after I teach somebody, I, I encourage them to mentor other people, whether they're going through the online course or in your individual work at school, at home, whatever. Get some drums, drum with your family, you know, see what happens. It's fun, man. It, it's, there's nothing like it. It really isn't. Wow. Yeah. That was so helpful, actually. Dang. Yeah, and there needs to be a business. I, I, I have a feeling that, well, in, in music therapy, we might call it recreational music making, that experience of just making music together. But it, it goes deeper than that. And, and just like you get piano lessons to go home and practice, I think when it comes to caring for ourselves with music, we need to have the one-on-one -on -one and the understanding and the education, but then the real success is when you go home and do it on your own. Absolutely. Like practicing later after you're, you know, after, when you're not your lesson and making those practicing habits part of your life and whatever, that, that can change things. It changed me. It's changed people I've worked with, blown up veterans and homeless people and whatever. You watch it happen. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. I think. Let's see. Do I have anything else for you today? I mean, my... No, no worries. You've got an editor. You can always fix it later. <laughs> <laughs> what I've got is me and lots of time at work. <laughs> there you go. I'm glad you picked Zoom. Zoom's a good one. It's easier to work with than Skype, for example. Yeah, it is. I definitely like that I can just have it all downloaded. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be really nice later. Because I just have like a bunch of time where I work. I work with special needs people to make them help them as, as independently as possible. So they're all in group homes, which is super cool. But it's a lot of downtime and they can just stick on headphones and yeah. <laughs> edit away. And it's nice in that regard. Do you get to do any music with, with the people you work with? Um, I technically probably could and should. It is in their goals. To make okay. music, I just keep forgetting it's a thing, and that would be a lot of fun. Last time they did music was great. Yeah, that would be so cool. I love people who are at risk because, or special needs, because they're so like open. Um, and you can, you know, music. Well, I could probably find the articles, but you'll research them. So, um, music therapy for autistic people is just busting down incredible doors when it comes to uh, communication. I guess. You can communicate over music in a more effective way with an autistic person than you can communicate with words. Yeah. And, you know, drumming or singing or whatever is just an amazing thing for, for that sector of people. And, and autistic people are cool, man. They, they are, they're incredible. They are. Oh. It's not until people tell me they're autistic that I even know they're autistic. They're just yeah. the coolest, craziest, wonderful people. But, and so open and willing to, to be authentic. Yeah. Right? Unlike the rest of us who've learned to put on a mask or whatever. When you get to an at-risk person or someone who's dealing with special needs or whatever, it's just like, they're just right there. They're completely who they are. And that's refreshing. <laughs> and it's great. They're so loving and accepting too. It's just so much better. And they're more open with their emotions, which I think we should all be more open with our emotions. <laughs> And just what? with our own kid personality, which they so well show. 
I have a question for you, um, and it's a generational question, so I wouldn't know the answer, but I'm curious how kids these days are when it comes to sort of grokking your emotions, being able to, to completely understand and accept what you feel. Is that more or less doable these days? Well, you know, it's still kind of hard. We, it's mostly still internal, which isn't great, but I mean, like, guys don't go out and talk about their emotions at all. It's still not a thing after all this time. Yeah. And it's hard to just go out and know that there's people out there that are going through so much stuff, but you'll probably never know because they don't say anything about it and they hide it so well. Yeah. It's destroying people. Yeah, I've watched family members who are, like, cutting or whatever, just trying to get through middle school you know which is hard these days i think suicide is the number one cause of death for uh kids and teens in the u.s which is horrible all of my kids my my son and daughter and my three stepdaughters have had friends that took their own lives Uh, it's remarkable to me i mean i i understand there's a side of suicide that's honorable in in some ways that's true but there's also a desperation to it and it, it's sad for me that anyone should arrive at a place of being so desperate like I was and then not have a way forward in any way. Yeah. And, you know, I can't fix everything, but it would be great to be able to be at least connected more closely with people who are, who are thinking about that and allow that conversation. You know, I didn't want to talk to anybody. When I wanted to kill myself, I didn't want to talk to anybody. Believe me, it was too late. But before that, you know, maybe I could have talked with somebody or somebody could have reached out and said, Bill, you're looking awfully depressed. This is more than usual. I'm worried about you. You know, yeah. you want to talk, you want to hang out, you want to make some music together. You know, let's, 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 let's not be alone right now. <laughs> you know, that would have been amazing for me. And whether or not this works in the workplace, I know for school, when I went out and I just sat with people that were alone and just changed up every week, like every day, it was so cool being able to meet so many new people that otherwise were me like I was the one going out there because I knew I was going to be sitting alone on that table by myself there you go go out there and that's the hardest part just going out and opening up to people yeah and then just being with people that you don't know that might already be having a bad time you don't know if that's going to help them but in most of the cases it really does help yeah yeah, just the just knowing that somebody is is there, even yeah. a total stranger, you know. And being so much more open to other people as well. I when I left those places, I saw them with more people more often. Like it wasn't one of those just like one time things. It was like okay, cool, I can go out and talk to people, or people were more likely to go up to them and hang out. And I mean, it's sad that it has to come to that, but. We should do that more. Oh, yeah. Good on you, brother, for doing that. Because, I mean, you never know whose life you've saved. <laughs> but we had this experience a few days ago. My wife and I visited a town where we used to live. And she had a dance studio there. And a woman that we both know came up and said, my son has a reason to live because of what you taught him in dance. Yeah. It's like, wow. That was like 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet it stuck. So... You know, he, it's a tough town to live in as a teen because there's not much to do up there in the mountains. 
but he's not doing what other people are doing. He's dancing and he's doing all this stuff. And, you know, like his peers are, you know, drugged out and can't hold a job and stuff like that. It's hard, but yeah. something got through. And man, if it's, if it's you, Camden, getting through to people, like even total stranger, like you said, that opens it up just a little bit. Oh, how amazing. The world needs you. The world needs you, brother. Absolutely. And if we can get more people into music and dance and theater, where it's just a more accepting environment anyway, and you're allowed yeah. to be who you are, yeah. then, oh my gosh, how better would the world be? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, it's a hard road to hoe, but at least in America, but in other parts of the world, if you get a chance to travel, and you will, you'll find openness and acceptance that isn't in uh, America. That's marvelous. That's just incredible. A, a college friend of my dad's is a concert pianist, and he played in Europe because in America, it wasn't, you know, there were four people who were allowed to play concert piano with orchestras in America. I mean, literally, it's that small. It's really tiny. There's a few more now, but still, it's very small. But yeah. in Europe, the acceptance is huge. Everybody wants to hear music in Europe and wants to engage with it. And that was in the 60s. So it can only be improving thanks to technology. Absolutely. Oh, I think I'll let you go. It's been great talking to you. Cool. Thank you, Camden. It's been inspiring talking to you. I love it. If you'd like to hear more from Bill Potsman, you can visit him at his website at quest.musiccare.net. Again, that's quest.musiccare.net. And remember, if you liked our podcast, make sure to subscribe, as well as sharing with friends so everyone can find our podcast. And one last thing, every episode comes with a bonus episode in the form of a super silly fun song that's special to every single person we interview. Today's super silly fun song will be Bill Choked and Now He's Dead. So make sure to listen to that too. Thanks for listening to The Happiness Question. Goodbye. This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics... These lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts.